Well, this morning, take your copy of God's Word and turn to Psalms 42. And the title for this sermon has kind of been a work in progress. I'm going to talk about, you know, a little bit about depression, I think. But I want, you to, I want to say this at the outset, that if you live with constant depression or you think you're chronically depressed, I want you to know something. You should probably see your doctor. Talk to a physician about it. There, 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 is, phys- there is physical depression and there's spiritual depression. They're two different things. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, as soon as I determine that it's not spiritual, it's physical, he said, I send people to the proper person. And uh, so keep that in mind. Some, some Christians think, well, you know, the Lord, you know, I don't need to go see doctors or, you know, counselors or anything like that. But that's, that's not true. Uh, the Lord has given us all these things for our benefits. Now, there are some people who mess it up, who do it poorly, but go, go, see, go see the right people. If, you need to, if you're trying to figure out who you need to go see, and if you don't know which it is, spiritual depression or clinical depression, uh, maybe you could come talk to me. I could help you a little bit with that. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a doctor. Psalm 42. The background for this psalm is worth thinking about. The exact author is unknown, Although all the images on the screen tell you who I think wrote it, <laughs> King David. And I say that because that's who Charles Haddon Spurgeon said. He said, Psalm 42, it smells like the son of Jesse. And then out of the mouth are two or three witnesses, let every word be established. John Gill, he also said, Charles Spurgeon wrote this psalm. <laughs> Did I say what I think I said? <laughs> wow. Charles Spurgeon did not write this psalm. <laughs> like I said, we don't know who wrote it, man. We're just guessing up here. <laughs> Boy, howdy. Anyway, Gil said David wrote it. Charles Spurgeon said David wrote it. I started to say Gil Spurgeon said Gil wrote it. <laughs> We're pretty sure David wrote this psalm. That's what all the big guys say. And you, you want to know when did David write it. It's hard to know in David's life when he wrote Psalms. There's, 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 only, there's only one work out there uh, about it, and it's kind of obscure. It's hard to get. I, I've only been able to get it via, on a PDF scan of a, of a book. It's called The Placement of the Psalms in the Life of David, written by a man named King way back in the 1700s. But if you can know when David wrote a psalm, if you put it, if you put it in a setting or a context, it helps us understand why he said what he said. Gill says that this was written during the time when David was on the run from his friend, his father-in-law, his king, a man named King Saul. Now I want you to think about that. David wrote this when he was on the run, when he was under attack, under assault, from somebody who had been very special to him, but now, now the guy has turned on him. Things have changed. And so let's, let's remember a little bit how David came to be with and how he came to know King Saul. If you have your copy of God's Word, you could turn back. I'm not going to read from these passages, but it's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where King Saul first encounters David, the son of Jesse. He meets David because King Saul himself has turned against the Lord. He's been rejected by God. And in an unusual reading, it says that the Lord sent an evil spirit to Saul to torment him or to afflict him. 
Now that's something that God did to King Saul. Saul was going through a judgment. He was being judged by God because Saul rejected God. Saul turned away from the Lord. And I want to say this to you kind of right now. If you turn away from the Lord, you can expect some judgment. You can expect some consequences. You can expect to, in the words of my dad, you can expect to have to eat that. Turn away from the Lord. Saul turns away from the Lord. And in the providence of God, Saul's trying to figure out how to get over this depression. People trying to help Saul get over his, uh, his bad times. And so they said, there's a guy who is a, he's really good looking, he's really handsome, and he's very talented with the, with the, uh, the harp or the lyre. And so they call for, they said, let's bring this guy in. And David comes in, and he plays music for Saul, and Saul is soothed. Saul is comforted by the music of David. And that's what, what we see here in this first picture. Saul is calmed by the music of David. And so Saul wants to keep him around. Saul doesn't even seem to know who David is exactly. He's just a guy with a guitar, and he just says, hey, come play for me, and he helps him along the way. But then something happens. We don't know how long David performed this service for King Saul, but in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, we know that a war breaks out. And when a war breaks out, things change, right? Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. Can you remember what the world was like 20 years ago? Very different. Very different. And then we've been living with the the pandemic in the last good night. Almost two years now. Can you remember what life was like before that? Things change. And a war takes place in Israel. Philistines versus the Jews, the Hebrews. And so David has to go home. Because his brothers get called up to fight in the war. So David goes back to his father's house. He goes back to tend the sheep. The brothers go to war. But after a while, David's father, Jesse, says, What's going on with my sons? He's worried about them. There was no Facebook, no Skype, no internet, no email, no cell phone, no satellite phones. What's going on with my sons in the battle? I've never sent a child to battle, but I've sent children out of my house to live on their own. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about what are they doing? And I hope they're not getting locked up. (laughs) I hope they're not doing anything real bad out there. How are my kids doing? So Jesse sends David to go and check on his sons. So David runs out there, goes a long journey, finds out how how the brothers are. He gets there just in time to see a battle, to have a front row seat. The Bible says he shouted for the battle. And then David, while he was there, he heard the daily challenge of Goliath, the giant. Goliath comes out and says, gives down his challenge. He lays down his challenge. He says, oh, you know what he said. Send out your champion to fight against me. And if you win, we'll be your servants. And if we win, you'll be our servants. And David hears this. And to make a long story short, we know that's the story of David and Goliath. And David killed Goliath with what? A stone. God using him. Well, this catches Saul's attention. <laughs> and in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says that Saul got David and kept him close to him. David becomes very important to King Saul. And one of the nice things about David's battle over Goliath was Saul had offered a reward. Any man, the man who kills the giant will receive two things. One, he'll get to marry my daughter. 
And two, he'll have, his family will have a lifetime tax rebate. Isn't that striking? That's two pretty wonderful things. If you get a lifetime tax rebate, would you be, would you be into that? I would. So David begins to live with King Saul. He's his, Saul becomes his father-in-law. He becomes his friend. David becomes very important to Saul. David rises through the ranks, but then all of a sudden Saul realizes that David is going to take my place. David is more popular than me. And so the good times of David, these wonderful, blessed times that David is going through, they change. And he begins a 10-year period of running from King Saul because King Saul, his friend, his king, his father-in-law, turns against him and tries to kill him, both directly and indirectly. And in that 10 years, David loses his job. He loses his wife. He loses his ability to feel safe. Do you know what that's like to not feel safe? In our church in Oklahoma one day, uh, one Sunday, a, a man from the church, he called me after the morning service. He said, hey, we're not going to make it back for the afternoon service because we got home and found our front door had been kicked in. And our house had been robbed. You know, and he said, we, he said, we just don't feel safe anymore. We're worried about it. They felt violated in a deep and personal way. David doesn't feel safe. He's forced to run. Well, let's put yourself in that scenario. What do you do when your life hits the skids? What do you do? When everything goes sideways. Have you ever had your life go sideways? Thought you had it all figured out. And then everything just kind of burns up. And it looks irrecoverable. Irreversible. This is what you do. Look at Psalm 42. Jason Lobaxer says that the Psalms are a clear lake reflecting, reflecting the sky of man's emotions. Listen to David's emotions in Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. I would encourage you maybe to put your finger by that word your. Or, may, or maybe underline it. But if you don't do that in your Bible, some way to remember that. We're going to come back to your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God my rock. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. 
For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And we trust the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word. These are the kinds of things that you say in prayer to God when you are hurting. When you've been hurt in a very deep and personal way. You're trying to figure out what's going on. And there's no one, it seems, who can help you. There's no place to turn to. No one who can make you feel better. So we turn to God. And in the Psalms, we see David speaking honestly to God. One of the things that really annoys me about Christianity is how people, they just, it's all cliches. It's all metaphors. It's all these, all these little maxims. Instead of people being honest about how they feel. Honest about how they feel about God sometimes, about how God has been treating them. Just being honest. Don't you like honesty? You don't like honesty. <laughs> you, we'd rather believe a soft lie than the hard truth. Don't tell me the truth about myself. Tell me a nice warm lie about myself. We need to be honest. This is, this, is, this is the heart of David, the heart of the psalmist laying it out for us. Now I want you to notice how David feels. He feels he's been in this situation. Things are going sideways. Things are not going well. He feels thirsty. He feels dry. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever felt dry spiritually? You've just been dragging yourself to church and dragging yourself to church. You've been whipping yourself to read the Bible. You don't even want to pray. You just feel wrung out like a sponge. You feel like a desert. David's metaphor in verse 1 is, I'm like a deer in the drought. I'm running around everywhere, expending all my energy trying to find a drink of water somewhere. And then notice that, that little, this little begging refrain at verse, in verse number 2. When can I go and meet with God? When can I find him? When can I find that spot? When can I get there? When can I go? When I was a kid, I'd ask my dad to do something. I'd say, Dad, can we go swimming? He'd say, yeah. And he would just, that's all he would say is, yeah. We didn't have a swimming pool. We didn't have a creek nearby, so he had to take us swimming. So I'd say, Dad, will you take us swimming? Yeah. My dad's the kind of guy, you don't, ask, you don't want to mess with him too much. And so you, you kind of go, well, you tell your brother, he said we could go. And Joel says, when? I don't know when, whenever. I don't know. He's, go ask him when. No. <laughs> you ask him when. I ain't going to ask him when. You're the oldest. Yeah. I say, he loves you more. You go. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know when. Here's David says, I'm dry. I want to know when. I want to know when. I've, asked my, I've, I've had this exact situation where he said, Lord, when are you going to do something? When are you going to turn my captivity and set me free? When are you going to give me a drink? When are you going to help me out? David feels thirsty. In verse 3, he feels tearful. My tears have been my bread day and night. He's been eating his tears constantly. In verse 4, he longs for the past. He says, I remember when I used to go worship with the festive throng. I remember when I used to really enjoy going to church. I remember when it was a lot of fun to go to church. I remember how it used to be. Longing for the past. When we get down and discouraged, we, we look at the past and everything about the past is great. But everything about the past is not great. I grew up without air conditioning. Actually, I forgot where I'm at. 
because I just bought a house without air conditioning for the first time in my whole life. I grew up without air conditioning. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a better illustration, but I'm lost with that. The past always seems better back in 1976 or 1980 when things were better. Man, I don't want to go back. I can remember working on cars with my dad. I don't want to go back to how cars were back then. I like it now where you just plug it into a computer and they tell you what the codes are and you, you know, pull the parts off, put new ones on. That's nice. It's nice when it works that way. <laughs> in verse number 7, David feels overwhelmed. That's what that means, verse 7. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. He feels overwhelmed. Notice that he says these overwhelming waves have come from who? God. These are your waves. That's striking. In verse 10, he says, I'm in physical pain. My bones suffer mortal agony. As my, and he's in agony as his foes are taunting him, saying, where is your God? In verse number 9, he says, why have you forgotten me? This is what David is saying to God. Now, in this passage, there are two verses, verse 5 and verse 11, where David talks to himself. I want you to notice that he does talk to himself, and I want you to notice how he talks to himself. Charles Spurgeon says, as though David were two people, he reasons with himself. He also says, Spurgeon also says that David's faith reasons with his fears here and his hope argues with his sorrows. There's an internal conversation taking place where David is saying one thing with his heart and then he's saying something else to himself. John Trapp says here, David rebukes David out of the dumps. David is trying to lift himself out of the dumps. Sometimes you're going to be in that very situation. Have you ever, uh, you know... As a kid, I didn't talk to my parents about everything, but sometimes you would go to your parents and try to talk to them about something, and they will give you, you know, they don't understand what you're feeling. They hadn't been teenagers in a long time. They don't know. They didn't watch Saved by the Bell. <laughs> they, they didn't know what it was like to, not ever, to know you're never going to be Zach Morris. You guys know what I'm talking about, Zach Morris? Anybody? Anybody? Or, or the girls whose names I can't remember. Jesse. <laughs> Jess, Jessica Spano. <laughs> Kelly Patowski. I'm remembering now. Kapowski. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs> this, is, this is something dumb to say, but I'm going to say it. I was talking to a guy, a guy recently, and we were talking about posters that people had on their bedroom wall. And this, he said, yeah, he had, he had a picture of, the, of this sports figure. And this other guy said, man, I had a picture of Kelly Kapowski on my, my bedroom wall. And I said, you know what I had on my bedroom wall? They said, what? I said, Michelangelo's The Last Supper. <laughs> it was, you know, funny stuff. I would go talk to my parents, and sometimes they would tell me things that, that I would listen to what they said and go, but in my mind going, I don't, you don't know what I'm talking about, Dad. You, 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 ever, you ever talk to your wife, husband, and you're, tell, you're trying, trying to get some comfort from her, and she's trying to comfort you, but she doesn't know how to say it? And I know it's for wives. Wives go to their husbands, and they have all these difficulties, and they lay them all out there, and he goes, it'll be all right. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> 
Or my personal favorite, relax. (laughs) (laughs) No, it doesn't, Dave. (laughs) Difficulties. And so sometimes you're forced to talk to yourself. David has to talk to himself about how he feels. And I want you to think about this. Feelings are not always accurate. They're not always accurate. Especially when it comes to our relationship with God. We're not saved by feelings. We're saved by faith. That is not to say that there is not an experiential element to our salvation. I'm glad that there are things we can feel in our relationship with God, aren't you? But I'm glad that I don't depend on feelings all the time. We walk by faith and not by sight. We believe in something. We live by faith. But our feelings can be so strong. Our feelings, our feelings can be so powerful that, we are, that they can override the truth. They can override reality. And our feelings can cause us to feel rejected and to reject the truth even. I think verse 9 is the main statement in this whole passage that we should look at in verse 9. David says, why have you forgotten me? David feels like God has forgotten him. Now, don't say amen to this. Don't say oh me or anything else. But I feel like, my feelings, I am fairly certain that every person in this room, probably at some point in their life, has felt like God has forgotten me. He doesn't know where I am. He's lost my number. He doesn't know where I am. And I think, that's, I think that's normal. And even Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior on the cross, what did he say? A.K.A., why have you forgotten me? Serious. It's, it's, it, I think it's common. Life does these things to us. And we say, Lord, what's going on? I think it's the primary issue, this forgottenness. He feels this way. Because all of his feelings are telling him that God has forgotten him. The way he feels, his body, his inner person is saying, God's forgotten you. And then the people around him, they're also saying, God's forgotten you. In verse 3, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? In verse 10, the same thing. Where is your God? You say, well, being a Christian, I thought was going to be like a cakewalk. It was going to be easy as falling off a log. You know, you, you all just installed me as your, as your pastor today. And you know, everything's going to be great now, right? <laughs> no, it ain't. <laughs> there's, good, there's, there's going to be some Sundays when I'm going to annoy the fire out of you and I might be doing it already. And there's going to be Sundays when you annoy the fire out of me. And you haven't done it yet. (laughs) Relationships are like that. Life is like that. There's difficulties in it. Being a follower of the Lord, Jesus Christ, means you're going to have some hard times. There are hardships. R.C. Sproul said, when he became a Christian, my life became very complicated. Before I was a Christian, it was black and white. 
do what pleased me. But when I became a Christian, my life got a little more complicated because I wanted to please myself and please God. And so now he's pulled in two ways. Being a Christian means you're going to have some difficulties. Jesus, our Lord, in, in Luke 14, verses 25 through 33, he said, if you follow me, you might lose everything. You might lose all your kids. You might lose your husband, your wife, your mother, your father if you follow me. So count the cost. Think about what could happen. Now, for us in America, we don't think about that too much. I mean, a lot of my experiences come from a life of a person who was raised by a Baptist preacher in a Christian home with Christian grandparents, basically. I got my brother's a Christian. My brother's brothers in law and sisters in laws are Christians. A lot of my nieces and nephews are Christians. I mean, I've just, everybody in my life is a Christian, basically. Everybody I really loved is a Christian. I haven't had anybody that I love die without Jesus Christ as their Savior that I know of. Everybody in my, life, in my family has died in the faith. I, I'm, I know they're in heaven as much as I can know, right? So I speak, I, I speak from, you know, following Jesus was something I was commended for, right? But maybe some of you, when you became a Christian, you, you were met with hostility by your parents. Maybe your brothers or sisters or husband or wife turns against you and you said, I'm going to follow the Lord. It's a, real, it's a reality for some people. It's something I don't know if, it's something that, that's a difficulty I can't really understand, but I know it's real. What Jesus says is to count the cost to think about it. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 to 13, and 2 Corinthians 6, 3 to 10, he, he, he talks about all the difficulties that he suffered as he followed the Lord. As you as a Christian, as you follow the Lord, you're going to have difficulties. David is following the Lord and Saul has turned against him and is making his life hell on earth because David's following the Lord, Saul's not following the Lord, and Saul wants to make David miserable. And he does. Life can be so difficult. What I'm trying to tell you is that bad times and painful situations in your life currently do not mean that God has forgotten you. It does not mean that God's forgotten you. It does not mean that. Every voice in your life is saying it does mean that, but I'm telling you it don't. Bad times. Brace yourself. Bad times are a part of God's plan for your life. It's something we don't like to think about. Remember in the Old Testament, our brother Joseph, a young, favored son. His father gives him a coat of many colors. Joseph is his father's pick of the litter. His brothers turn against him. They, they sell him into slavery. He goes into prison. He suffers He suffers fear. He suffers the pit. He suffers prison. He goes through all those things. And ultimately, Joseph comes through the valley of the shadow of death, you might say, up to the throne room and is the savior, the deliverer of his family, of Israel. Israel becomes a great nation because of Joseph. And at the end of it all, in Genesis chapter 49... Joseph looks at his brothers and says, you guys meant all, this, all these evil things for evil. 
But God meant them for good. God meant them for good. This morning, in this morning's Bible reading, I used the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. Valerie uses it too. And because we both read the same passage of Scripture every day, we've had lots of conversations about the Scripture. It's kind of nice. If, you, if you're a married couple and you read the Bible, use the same reading plan. That way you can talk about the Bible or argue about the Bible. <laughs> but in this morning's reading, we ended 1 Corinthians and today is 2 Corinthians. And I want to read to you what I read this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Second Corinthians 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in, our, in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble. With comfort we ourselves have received from God. (laughs) Paul says, I had trouble so I could experience the Lord's comfort. That way I could comfort others by telling them the Lord got me through. The Lord has comforted me. I was talking to a couple who are in this room right now this morning. And they told me about, about some difficulty they experienced. A heartbreaking pain. And they're telling me about it. I haven't lived through that. But I'm standing there looking at them years after this has taken place. And where are they? Well, they're here in this room. They're in church. They still love the Lord. They love God. In some way, God has comforted them and got them through. And when they were talking to me, They were preparing me, unbeknownst to them, preparing me for a life experience I have not yet yet faced. That's how it works. These bad times come through our lives. God has brought them to us. Brother Michael took us through the book of Ruth. He took you guys to the book of Ruth. I only got to hear about four or five of those sermons. But the whole story of Ruth begins with bad times. It was bad times that drove Naomi and Elimelech, that's his name, right, Elimelech, down into Moab. And she had to watch her husband die and both her sons die before she could get who? Ruth. And then she gets Ruth and she goes all the way back up to Bethlehem. And what does she get? You guys remember, don't you? Naomi has a, <laughs> they got most of it, didn't they? <laughs> Naomi has a son. His name is Obed. And he is the grandfather of who? Of David. All that, the Lord working. We don't understand sometimes, we don't, we don't understand any time what's, what's happening. But the Lord is working. Bad times are part of God's plan for our life. And here's something that bad, that bad times do for us. Bad times, discouragements and defeats, they tend to recalibrate our lives, to help us realign ourselves, to reestablish proper priorities. They cause us to, to give ourselves a checkup. What is going on here? And they require us to exercise faith in God. And that's what David says to himself in verses 5 and 11. Look at the questions in verse 5. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? What's wrong with you, he says? Why are you so tore up by these things? And there's, here's his voice to himself. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. The word for most of the time means because. You could read it that way. Put your hope in God because I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David tells himself, put your trust in the Lord. Put your confidence in him. Jesus, David tells himself that God has not forgotten him. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his sermons on spiritual depression, he says that we must talk to ourselves. We must tell ourselves the truth according to God's Word and not the truth according to us or our current perspective or other people, but we need an infusion of divine truth into our minds. And to do this, to be able to speak to yourself Truth, absolute truth, requires an absolute source of truth. You have to have a source of truth that is from a world that is pure, that is from a heart that is pure, that's from a a mouth that is pure. It has to be the words of God. And we have them in Holy Scripture. We 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 need facts. And these facts must be from a source that's so high and so powerful that it causes us to trust them more than we trust our feelings. Facts. We just sold our house, and that was a white-knuckle, nail-body experience every step of the way. And Valerie would call the realtor and say, is this going to happen? He'd say, yes, it's going to happen. She'd say, are you sure it's going to happen? I'm sure it's going to happen. Are you really, really sure it's going to happen? Yes, I'm sure it's going to happen. Now... (laughs) How come he could be so sure, but Valerie and I be so uncertain, be so unsure? Because he knows the power of a contract. He said, we got, this, is, this, is, this is in writing. He told Val, there are ram- if they back out, there are ramifications they don't want to face. He knew the power of the written word. And you and I need to trust the power of God's word. I want you to take your Bible and turn to Psalms 119. Listen to verse 65. Psalm 119, verse 65. Do good to your servant according according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Your hands made me and formed me. Give me understanding to learn your commands. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my Hope in your word. In God's word. In what God has said. Now, if if I make a date with you, I say, I'm going to be there tomorrow at whatever time. You know, the chances are I'm going to be there, but there's a possibility I might not be there. 
Because somebody might text me and say, do you want to go fishing? <laughs> there's, there's always a chance, right? I mean, I've had a point. Have you ever gone to see your doctor? And you're going to go see the doctor and you know you're, kind of, you're ready to go and get a call from the doctor's office. Oh, sorry, the doctor, he's not in today. He had, he had something come up. You know what came up? That's right. <laughs> or you got a better offer. <laughs> we have to trust God's word. Put your hope in his word. Now, this means, dear friend, that in, instead of songs from the radio or instead of people to get us through, we have to get a word from above. We need a word from God. David said, has God forgotten me? Why have you forgotten me? Take your copy of God's word and turn to Isaiah 49. Listen to this reading. Isaiah 49, 13. Shout for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountain. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Verse 14. But Zion, the people of God, what do they say? The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. God has said rejoice. And the response is, but you forgot me. And then God gives them some comforting words. Look at verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born, though she may forget? And we know that women turn against their own children. If that wasn't true, there wouldn't, there wouldn't be babies left in dumpsters. There wouldn't be little kids abused by their parents. By their parents! Though a mother may forget her child, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. In the heavenly realm right now, Jesus Christ the Lord sits on the mercy seat in the true tabernacle in the heavens. And in his hands are wounds. In his resurrection body, there are wounds in his hands. Remember Thomas said, I will not believe that Jesus is risen from the dead until I see what? The nail, pin, the nail prints in his side. And Jesus appears to Thomas and he says to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and feel. In the glory realm, Jesus sits on the throne in his hands, the eternal symbol of his love for you, that he died on Calvary for your sins, that he shed his own pure and precious blood for your sins so that you, filthy, rotten, vile sinners, could be made righteous. So that you could be made as holy as God is through faith. In Jesus Christ alone. By faith in Christ alone, you can receive the imputation, whatever your sins are, whatever your past is, through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You can receive eternal, unending righteousness. 
And though down here on this earth, you may feel at times, God has forgotten me. I don't know where God is in heaven, on the heavenly throne. Jesus has never forgotten you. He can't forget you because he's perfect. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows. You say, well, that's Old Testament, man. That's, that's Israel. You know, I don't, that's Zion. I'm not down with that. Okay. Matthew 28, 20. New Testament. Pre-Pentecost, but you know, hey. It's the words of Jesus. Lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world. There's one of the guys here in the church, I don't, I don't see him here this morning, but I've heard him pray a couple times, and each time he prays, he, he's, I've heard him say, we're two or three are gathered together in my name. We know you're in the midst of us. That's, Jesus is with us. He's with you right now. He's with you every day. If you're out there fishing, out there hunting, you're at school, you're in the closet on your knees crying because something really bad has happened to you, he's with you. He never forgets you. We have the commitment of the Lord to his people here. Say, but I feel, but I feel, but I feel. Yes, and so did David, and so have I, and so so have many others. But David's advice to himself is to put his hope in God. And this word hope means to wait expectantly. Waiting for the Lord to come and change things or change us so we'll feel better. You see, we are brought low so that we can look up to him. And I I have several other things here I could say about this just to prove my point. Verse 7, Psalm 42, 7. Your waves and your breakers have swept over me. You have brought me down. You have pressed me down so that he'll cry out for mercy to the Lord. Put your faith in Jesus, Christian. Put your faith in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, I I pray that you'll bless these words to our hearts. In Christ's holy name, amen.